Rico. And I'm Jessica. And this is the Always the Critic podcast, where a couple of friends review the latest movies, except we literally have zero qualifications to do so. Jessica, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, After yesterday, we went to Hollywood Studios. Yes, we did. It was also seems appropriate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Got to enjoy some of that stuff. Uh, Speaking of Hollywood and movies, uh, today was the release of a trailer for a movie coming out Mm -hmm. next year, uh, The Secrets of Dumbledore. Uh, they are continuing the Fantastic Beasts movies. Uh, so a new trailer was released uh, today. I missed that trailer. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I guess it came out a few hours ago or something like that. Um, Johnny Depp no, no longer reprising his role. It is uh, Mr. Mads Mikkelsen, who is in the trailer as Grindelwald. Have you seen the movie The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus? Dr. Parnassus, yes. This is starting <laughs> this to is feel, starting to feel like, like that. <laughs> yeah. Colin Farrell to Johnny Depp <laughs> to Matt Mickelson. It's 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 getting a little too much. Yeah. Uh but besides that, um we we had a pretty good weekend movie-wise. I yes. mean, we we have a lot of discussions to be had, uh especially about the main event of this episode. But before we get into the main movie that we're going to talk about, we did see a second movie this weekend. Yeah, we did. We saw Being the Ricardos. Uh, Being the Ricardos is a new film that kind of chronicles a week in the life of two of the biggest TV stars of all time, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Uh, they are played by Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem, respectively. Uh, this movie is directed and written by Aaron Sorkin. So uh, just real quick, we just wanted to get your thoughts on it. What what do you think of Being the Ricardos? It was okay. I thought that I would hate um, Nicole Kidman a little more, but Nicole like is is great. Like she's great as always. So she wasn't necessarily the thing that I hated about the movie. I just still have such a problem with Javier Bardem playing Desi Arnaz because, and then especially because the movie makes a point of having Lucille Lucille Ball do this impassioned speech about his ethnicity and like no he's not spanish he's never been to spain right and javier bardem is from spain he's spanish like legit (laughs) legit spaniard so it kind of fell flat for me because they were trying to do something there and trying to pay respects to like one of the most iconic cuban-american performers of all time and the guy that's playing him is not cuban not at all not like Cuban was is like part of his whole persona and identity, yeah, it right? It was huge. It was yeah. huge. So the fact that you didn't use no. someone that was Cuban. And if if you want to go ahead and say, okay, fine, maybe they couldn't find the right Cuban actor. But even like that, Javier Bardem's accent is very heavy. So strong, yeah. So strong that it's kind of hard to buy him as a cuban who came to hollywood Mm -hmm. so so overall i think it's a it's a fine performance by nicole javier's okay in it regardless of the the accent issues that i think we have and the story itself uh, 
the real life thing that happened, they condensed like multiple things into one week right. to make it, you know, a little more dramatic. But um, I think they try to f- cram in a couple of things too much in mm-hmm. the movie. Mm-hmm. So if, if you want to go to see Nicole Kidman for her performance, do it for sure, because I think she may be getting nominated for an Academy Award for the performance. But uh, other than that, I wouldn't say like it is you have to rush out and see it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, So I would agree. Those are our thoughts on being the Ricardos. But now let's go ahead and let's get to our main event here on this episode. But before we do, if this is your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, Google Podcasts and many more. And if you do like us, go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars because five stars goes a long way for us. Come and check us out on social media to stay up to date on our latest episodes and reviews. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at AlwaysCriticPod. And if you're a fan, please, please consider becoming a patron. It's a great way for you to get involved and show your support. You can check out the page on Patreon.com slash AlwaysCriticPod. So today we are going to talk about the 2021 version of West Side Story. Yes. This is uh this is a big one because this is one that was delayed from last year to this year. It was supposed yeah. to come out last December. Um but because of the pandemic was pushed back. So obviously they believed and by they I mean Warner Brothers believed very heavily in this movie that they pushed it back to this award season to to compete. So, with that said, was Jessica, it a Warner Brothers movie? Was it Warner Brothers? Or, I thought it was no. A 20th, I'm so sorry. 20th, 20th century, Fox. century. Yeah. Well, not Fox. 20th century. 20th century. Studios. Yeah. You're right. Anyway, but it was a remnant of the 20th century Fox before it was yeah. bought by Disney. It was a remnant of that, but it does seem like 20th century and in partner Disney did have belief in this movie to push it back a full year. Yeah. To be able to compete. So with that said, Jessica. What is this movie all about? IMDb synopsis reads, An adaptation of the 1957 musical West Side Story explores forbidden love and the rivalry between the Jets and the Sharks, two teenage street gangs of different ethnic backgrounds. So this movie is directed by the one and only Steven Spielberg. Um, Have you heard of him? Uh, (laughs) I know. And it's written by Tony Kushner, a famous producer as well Mm -hmm. Uh, so he did the writing obviously it was based off the 1957 script from the movie plus the book that the actual film is based on as well so they brought portions of the book from it the movie it does star Ansel Elgort as Tony and Rachel Zegler introducing Rachel Zegler Mm -hmm. as Maria uh, filling out the rest of the core cast we have Ariana DeBose, who plays Anita. We have David Alvarez, who plays Bernardo. And then we have Rita Moreno in a new part as Valentina. Mm-hmm. So that is the basics of the movie itself. Now, how was it received by critics? Jessica, why don't you let us know? It's got a 93% critic score and a 95% audience score. Uh, it's those high are pretty good. Those pretty pretty good. good scores. Yeah, they're fresh. <laughs> the critics' consensus reads Steven Spielberg's West Side Story presents a new look at the classical musical or the classic musical that lives up to its beloved forebear and in some respects might even surpass it. 
And now let me get to the bad side here, and that is the box office. So this is a movie that cost over $100 million to make, plus on top of that whatever marketing. And the opening box office here in the United States was $10.5 million, which apparently, according to trades and everything, is a disappointing number. That is not what they expected. Uh, $15 million worldwide, so that means it didn't really make much outside of the United States. Uh, we'll get into the discussion as to maybe what led to that or what could have caused that. Uh, but before we do that, let's just talk about the movie itself. Jessica, mm-hmm. what did you think about this version of West Side Story? I thought it was exciting. I thought it was um, felt a lot more authentic than the original and... Ultimately, I felt a sense of it was better than the 1961 movie adaptation of the musical. The 61 movie is, um, I find it a little bit boring in parts of the movie. A lot, large portions of it, I'm like, I can skip through this. Right. But in this movie, it felt pretty tight. It rearranged some things. Some songs are in different places. And... I think it did a really good job of keeping the audience engaged. And I think the word that I left with was immersive. Yeah, that that's a good word to use with, with this particular version of the movie. Uh, I did agree that I, I think, me personally, I do feel that I enjoyed myself more watching this movie, this version, mm-hmm. versus the 1961 version. It's 61, right? Yeah, is, the musical was is late fifties, and then the right, and then movie the movie is adaptation 61. is sixty one. Yeah. So the nineteen sixty one version, I had seen it before. I rewatched it before we watched this one as well, and I did find myself in moments like, oh, this one, this is dragging on a bit," or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, it feels a little bloated. Plus, I was not a fan of the way it is. The plot is arranged in the original version. Versus the way it's arranged now. You mentioned that, that they moved some things around for this version that I found smart moves. These mm-hmm. were smart moves by Tony Kushner and by Steven Spielberg. Um, I think that because of the fact that it is being made with modern technology and modern things, it looks nicer, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I, I still think that the flair for the most part is there there's a couple of things that you still look at the 61 version and like oh they this is where they they handle something better mm-hmm. than the remake or maybe there's performances that you you're like oh the 61 version you're getting more out of this performance than the current time mm-hmm. but with that said i know people are gonna ask the question which one's better the 61 or the current um, I don't I don't want to say that this one is just flat out better, but I will say that I do have a preference to the way this one was put together, the way the story ca- carried in this version, the way they fill uh, like actual plot in between the songs that I really appreciated mm-hmm. where the 61 version just feels like let's get from musical set piece to musical set piece type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one feels more of a story like that's right. that's carrying out. So that's what I really enjoy. Uh, so a couple of things bef- like before we like really dive deep into this movie, let's talk about some of the stuff that makes this different from the 61 version. Uh, number yeah. one, casting. 
Uh, very <laughs> yeah. important. Mm-hmm. Especially on the side of the sharks. Yeah. The, yes. Uh, so if you have ever seen the 1961 version, you will know that most people are basically in brown face for the most part. Pretty much. Yeah, even even, uh, even the Puerto Rita Rican. Morena. Yes. She's also in brown she face. She also is in brown face. Yeah. Um, almost no one on the Puerto Rican side in the 61 version is actually Puerto Rican or Hispanic even. Uh, this movie does a much better job of like actually filling those roles with actual Hispanic people. Yeah, they have provenance. <laughs> They're yeah. coming from PR, or I think the uh, stipulation from Spielberg to casting was they had to have a at least a grandparent that was from the island. Right. So that's where the Rachel Zegler can kind of get away because she's not purely Puerto Rican, but like if you go back, you can find it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's so I think a lot of people will kind of like balk at the idea like, oh, why couldn't you just get someone who was pure Puerto Rican? Right. I think people would say that most likely. Mm-hmm. I personally will say that this is a great step in the right direction. Great step in the right direction. And we we can continue building on stuff like this. Mm-hmm. You know, we can build. So Spielberg, like you said, stipulation, at least someone in the family is from the island. Someone at least. Yes. And eventually we'll get to the point where we're we're getting more people like from. Oh, they are from the island right now. So eventually we'll get there. But for now, I, I find this a very acceptable approach. For the most yeah, part. I don't think I was offended when I read the casting, um, you know, stipulations. No, I think he also included like, oh, yeah, they can also be New Yorkans. Right. Exactly. And, and that's I mean, yeah, the story takes place in New York with a, a whole host of a host of PR people. Yeah, that's fine to have New Yorkans. It's about New Yorkans. Um, I don't necessarily feel like I was offended by no. the casting at all. Because at the of same the, of time, the sharks, right? I don't feel any way about it. No, and on top of that, there there was a sense with the original version that they were playing too much into either stereotypes of the way yeah. they sounded or the way, and so this movie dials a bit of that back, so it's not as like so over the top, almost goofy type of accents that people are putting on. This it sounds like people actually speaking. The way they would normally speak uh, in a Hispanic household. So stuff like that felt Mm -hmm. genuine. It it felt like it was coming from the right place. Uh, Speaking of the cast, I wanted to mention uh, Rachel Zegler. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is pretty much like her coming out party. Uh, She really hasn't had any roles in a movie before this. Everything else was like musicals at her school pretty much. Oh, so like, like I didn't realize she was that fresh. She is that fresh. Like she's this is from like her like actual biography type of thing. Uh, She went to uh, high school in New Jersey, in Hackensack, New Jersey. And there she played Belle in Beauty of the Beast. She played Ariel in The Little Mermaid. Uh, She was Princess Fiona in Shrek the Musical. This was all in high school, all in high school. (laughs) Uh, And but. 
her performances. Led She's Gabriella to, from High School Musical, is what she, you're telling me. It, it led to her receiving Metro Award nominations. That's nominations for awards in the city of New York, pretty much, mm. uh, for younger people. So then from there, uh, she started getting noticed and then was cast in West Side Story. And now has been cast in other things coming up. Like Snow White. (laughs) As Snow White in the live action adaptation of the Disney film. Alongside Gal Gadot. Yeah, she's the evil stepmother. Yeah. And she has joined the cast for the 2023 Shazam Fury of the Gods. So Shazam, the the Yeah, I know about Shazam. Shazam. I'm like wondering who she is. Right. Who she'll play. Who she could play, exactly. So yeah, this is this is a huge big deal for her. Like these are three giant productions that mm-hmm. she's gonna be part of. So how did you feel about her take on Maria? I thought she was amazing. Yes, yes, she was. I thought that she brought the vocals. I thought she brought the vulnerability. I thought she brought um all of the things that you want to see in a Maria performance from West Side Story. You want the angst you want the rebelliousness you want the um softness about her as well um vulnerability like i said and obviously um singing chops yes the singing chops were there and that's very necessary when you're talking about one of the (laughs) most crucial roles in a musical yeah it's the singing chops uh uh, there's another person we'll talk about. I'm, I'm going to save them for a little bit later. Let's talk about the rest of the Sharks pretty much or like the core cast. So Bernardo, mm-hmm. uh, a very f- pivotal role in this story. I thought it was he was good, really good. Yeah. So this is played by David Alvarez. Uh, David Alvarez. I didn't know him before this either. So. A, a lot of these roles are people that are just like getting a huge opportunity to get in front of a large audience. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I, I enjoyed him. Uh, apparently, he is uh, Canadian from Cuban parents. Uh, so he is from Canada, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> and he became one of the youngest winners of the Tony Award for Best Actor in a Lead Role in a Musical. Um, for the production of Billy Elliot, the musical. Oh, so, okay. So he's classically, well, mm-hmm. I would say he is an actor through the theater mold. Mm-hmm. So him being in there. I I really enjoy his take as the older brother. The older brother dynamic with her and Maria is really good. He really nailed that machismo. That yes, he did. I'm not sure if the original Bernardo um, nailed it's not quite as strong in the original version. Yet. Right. This one has not just like, oh, I'm an older brother. I know, but more than you, but also that like, oh, he looked at you wrong. Right. Exactly. You know, sort of um, machismo <laughs> that's prevalent in our, our culture. So I thought he did really well with that. And I think you want to jump to Ariana DeBose. For Anita? Yeah, I mean, my, that's the perfect, you know, jumping off point. Okay, she was also very good, but she has a huge shoes to fill because you're coming off of Rita Moreno playing Anita in the 1961 version. And R- Rita did, 
I mean, she blew it out of the water. She won an Oscar off of that role. It, it's it's very tough to come out here and try to top. Rita to Moreno. top, she did something totally different. I respect you know what Ariana did, but I mean, if we're comparing the two, I would always revert back to Rita Moreno's um, portrayal as Anita. Which is fair. It's a it's a fair thing. Yeah. Rita is a is a legend and an icon in the Puerto Rican community. And it all started from West Side Story. So we can't take anything away from her. Now, speaking on this performance by Ariana, I, I found it to be a fun performance. I found her to be uh, charming. Also, uh, especially when she's dealing with Bernardo, uh, there, there's a good chemistry there as a mm-hmm. couple, but at the same time, you know, she still has her own, um, her own self. She, she's not dependent on Bernardo. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. her own character, and I did like the way that she portrayed the character. It, it was a good performance and everything. So, if you're taking it by itself, it's it's a good performance. Of course, if you're comparing it, it's it's so hard to compare. <laughs> Uh, to Rita Moreno. Uh, just for context, uh, DeBose is from North Carolina. Uh, she was born there, but she is of Puerto Rican, African American, and Italian descent. Okay. So just uh, so we see who's where, who's coming from where. And then, of <laughs> course, uh, there's Rita Moreno. She she is part of the movie as a new character, Valentina. She yeah. basically takes over the spot of Doc from the original film. Yeah. And she's magnificent. Magnificent. She, she really is. Yeah. She, she's fantastic. She They give her stuff to do, not just like yelling at the kids like, oh, stop being bad or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like. There is thought behind that character. She is sympathetic towards Tony. She mm-hmm. uh, she sees the issues. And there's even a moment she where... She sees both sides. Yeah, she sees both sides because they use her complexion in the story. And we'll like dive deep on that, on, on how they use it for her. Uh, but she's sympathetic and she even gets her own song, which is like a brand new original song. And it's very good. (laughs) And it's very good. It fits right in with the rest of the music. They did Mm -hmm. a very good job with that. So that brings us to our final person that we need to talk about. Yeah. And that is Ansel Ansel Elgort. (laughs) So he is playing Tony. Tony is right there with Maria. This is the two pivotal roles. Yeah, he's Romeo. A lot of shit was talked about Ansel Elgort before going into this movie. Like critics, like we're basically saying this movie's great, except, except. for Ansel. <laughs> and so I went in. Maybe it's because I went in with those expectations a, a little lowered, but I walked out of it thinking that was a fine performance mm-hmm. by by Ansel Elgort. Yeah, he same. put he 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 did well. Like he he sung, he danced. You know, there's, was it a perfect Broadway? performance no no but, of course not. you know was it decent was it more than passable yeah i think it was more than passable and if you want to say he is the weakest part of the movie you you can say that but even like that if if he's the weakest part then this is a very damn good movie because yeah 
his his performance was actually something that serviced well. Now, real quick, we should probably state that the reason the controversy why, the reason why people have such a strong reaction towards Ansel Elgort is because he does have some allegations. Yeah, sexual assault allegations that have yet to be resolved, talked about. I think that his team did a great job of sweeping it under the rug and the marketing people and PR people in charge of West Side Story did a great job of not allowing him to sit down for long form interviews where that would definitely be a topic that came Oh yeah, up. for sure. And so the marketing and the movie, they they basically kind of hit him pretty much during yeah. press and everything. So yeah, it, it it does suck for the movie and for everyone who worked and was involved that this could be the reason why the movie flopped. Maybe people don't want to support Ansel Elgort. Maybe they don't view that we should be supporting something like this. Mm -hmm. And so the rest of the cast kind of gets lumped in there because of the fact that he plays the one of the two lead roles. Well, the thing is, you have all of these newcomers, right? People that we're unfamiliar with. And then you have the one person that you are familiar with and it's Ansel Elgar and he's problematic. Right. Exactly. So I'm sure people were like, why are we, first of all, why are we going back to this IP that's old and could be construed as dated? And why is the only person I recognize like an issue? Right. Yeah. I, so maybe that is a bigger reason as to why this movie kind of flopped at the box office. The names aren't recognizable. And this is something that we brought up too with In the Heights earlier this year mm -hmm. yes. is that there were no, what's the term, bankable stars. There we go. Totally, totally understand the point. Yes. Right. So that was like also a reason for In the Heights to essentially flop. Um, so, and then In the Heights got a bunch of controversy as well for the casting. Yes. Yes, it did. Um, I read somewhere that In the Heights went really broad in their presentation of Hispanics, that they tried to basically represent everybody at the same time. And then okay. West Side Story basically did the opposite, where they just went really micro and tried to tell just one story, the Puerto Rican experience, right? Yeah, I understand. And I'm not sure which is better. Like, I don't know, what what would you say is a better um, avenue? I, okay, so I believe that when it comes to In the Heights, right, if you're trying to tell the story of a block or a neighborhood, you can't tell it about one group of people because multiple people live in a block or neighborhood. So could you have tightened it up a little bit more and make it more focused on the Dominican experience? Because uh, let's face it, Harlem, you know, or, you know, that block of Spanish Harlem is very Dominican in New York City. Uh, or you could say Puerto Rican as well. But that, my point still stands. Uh, and then here with What's I Story, it is narrowly focused on the Puerto Rican experience in the 1950s post World War II mm -hmm. and the way that Puerto Ricans retreated when they arrived in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think 
there is a better or worse way of presenting a story, especially with these two examples, because I feel that I I love In the Heights. I think In the Heights is still one of my favorite movies of the year. It's such a vibrant and I would say necessary to have the, the different cultures represented in that movie. I think it's necessary because, again, you're not telling the story of one person. And the movie kind of emphasizes that it's not about just one person. It's about multiple people. There's multiple stories that they're telling. And not everyone is of the same background. Not everyone is a Dominican or not everyone's a Puerto Rican. There's other different uh, cultures and ethnicities. Um, And then versus this West Side Story, you know, it's a very prominent thing that New York in the 50s, their biggest thing was Puerto Ricans were moving to New York. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. they're not going to sit here and tell you that there was like a huge influx of Cubans or or Dominicans. Sure, they were there, but like the main focus, everybody knew Puerto Ricans in New York, New Yorkans, like it's a, it's a common term. So I don't think that there's a better or worse way to tell the story. Okay, I'm going to pause because I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I don't feel any which way. Like I like them both. Right. Pretty equally, actually. Um, I will put this... F- I will put this to you. Do you feel like our upbringing in South Florida has a huge influence on is, is basically coloring our view of both movies because we basically grew up surrounded by other Hispanics and Latinos. And it wasn't just like, Oh, we only had Puerto Ricans around us. Oh, we only had, you know, people of the same country around us like we had you know I grew up with Venezolano and Colombians and Puerto Ricans and Cubans and everyone Dominicans yeah. everyone Jamaicans like literally everyone you can everyone think of. yeah you're right so I don't know if that's also like because of our like you know we grew up in Miami you know what I think I'm willing to admit that maybe it is clouding the way I'm viewing this mm-hmm because of the fact that when when I go to a movie like this, uh, we've wanted a movie like In the Heights, representing the cultures that we used to see pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. But I have to realize in my head, this is not how it is everywhere else. We right. mentioned it on the last episode. Miami is its own country, pretty much. Like, <laughs> yeah, it is such a unique place, South Florida where so many cultures intermingle with one another that I have to remember that that's not like everywhere else. Even even in places that have like a huge, uh, you know, multicultural type of place. Like let's let's take L.A., for example. There's a lot of cultures there, but the main culture outside of, you know, being white, you know, Mexican. Mexican mm-hmm. is like the big one, you know? Right. So for us, that that's not the case. Uh, we have a, a mix of different mm-hmm. things. Nothing really dominates. Yeah, people will say, oh, Cubans, Miami. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, maybe you, you could be right, but there's enough of everything where 
you get enough of an experience with everything else. Right. So that's I think it's clouding me. So when when I see criticisms of like, oh, it was too broad in the heights, too right. broad of And a then too broad and I wasn't represented. Right. Too broad and I still wasn't represented. That exactly. was the argument, right? Yeah. Whether it was colorism or whatever country you hail from. I wasn't fully represented because the person that the story is supposed to focus on is a is a Dominican kid from New York. I'm not Dominican. So so I can't feel fully represented in that story. But with what they did, I think it was serviceable enough that it can bring to light what the today's Hispanic story tells. Mm-hmm. Where it's a mixture. It's people coming from so many different places and people being mixed from their families. Like mm-hmm. we met Ven- Venezuelan Colombians or Cuban Puerto Ricans like you mm-hmm. or myself, Ecuadorian Puerto Rican, uh, Jewish Cubans like yes. in South Florida. <laughs> there, yeah. That's a thing that yeah. happens. So I think that, yeah, I am clouded by the way I, I was brought up. Because we think in broad terms and we're like, we feel a closeness with like everyone because we have a lot of commonalities. We do. We do. Now, with this said, though, I did appreciate seeing that part, like West Side Story. I did appreciate seeing the Puerto Rican experience being shown Mm -hmm. on screen and being able to tap into it. This is one of the big Puerto Rican stories when it comes to movies. This Mm -hmm. is one of the big ones. But... Here's a question that needs to be asked. Is this a dated story? Mm-hmm. I, I I think it is. I think it is. This is a story that um, it, it kind of goes tied into this the is whole hard talk. Because this is really hard to say because obviously Shakespeare and Romeo and Juliet in particular have been retold countless times and it doesn't get old. It doesn't. <laughs> star-crossed lovers agree. is very, very it's you see it all the time yeah so for us to sit here and say that west side story is dated is a dated story i think we just mean this particular retelling is dated in the context the of yeah the concept of white versus pr in post-world war ii new york right because you know, gang the concept of gangs as well I feel like is really dated. I don't think we have really gangster movies anymore, you know? Not like that, where gangs are such an influential part of of society. Maybe like you you still hear about Bloods and Crips in in, out in California. You still hear about that. But I'm saying Um, like 1950s, 60s gang warfare. That's a concept that's too dated. Right. I don't think that movies that kind of center on that do well anymore which could tie into why the box office is where it's at i think there's a couple of things and if you look at the two movies we mentioned that are both musicals both with a hispanic flair to them Mm -hmm. they both made almost the same amount of money opening weekend 10 million dollars pretty much uh, and I just think that we live in a culture that doesn't really want to see a musical in movie form. Mm. At least not like this. Not your 
this is Broadway, we're putting it on film type of musical. I think yeah. the musical that still has somewhat success is more of a biopic type of musical, S- something like a you know Bohemian Rhapsody type of thing where it's like telling the life of someone we know mm-hmm. versus coming across characters that we don't really have a familiarity with. Sure, I think this also comes into into context is Broadway is viewed as this huge type of cultural significant thing that only 8 million people really get an you know access to it really mm-hmm. but it feels it feels bigger it feels like oh a broadway is mm-hmm. a way of life but that's not really the case the average person who lives in anywhere in the United States outside of the city of New York is not getting an experience of broadway so okay so here's the other thing is that yeah Broadway and Broadway musicals that go on tour, um, there is the sense of we have to see it before it's gone, right? Right. There is a bit of a sense of urgency about going to see a musical that's in town or you're in New York and you want to see a musical. Correct. Um, it's just like what you do. Yeah. And when it's in movie form, it loses that like urgency, I feel. Uh, yeah. And then also you don't get the live element. <laughs> The live element is very important. The live element is like key to Broadway and and especially musicals where you're like, they're they're doing this right in front of me. Yes. They're singing this or dancing right in front of me. It's real. And the appreciation of being able to see someone perform those songs Mm -hmm. like that in front of a live studio audience. Right. Versus... A movie that gets just rehearsed and then gets edited and, you know, everything gets done before it gets released to an audience. Right. I just don't think that Broadway has the hold that people believe that it has. Mm-hmm. I don't think that you can go to an average person in any of the 49 states outside of New York and say, hey, how big of a deal is it for you to see a Broadway musical? Right. And I think most people would be like, eh, I could take it or leave it. I right. think so. Yeah. Uh, so putting it in movie form, it's just for them, it's just like, oh, it's another movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Especially this one already exists. Exactly. This one As exists. Well. Yeah. For most people, most people have a bad feeling or a bad relationship with remakes already. So remaking such a classic, a movie that won 10 Oscars. People are questioning it from the very beginning. It's like, why mm-hmm. are they making Re- West Side Story? Why mm-hmm. are they remaking it? Right. It doesn't need to be remade. But with all that said, though, I will say that this version is actually a very good movie. Mm-hmm. And I can see it competing for awards. I'm not saying that it will win, but I could see it being in the conversation. And much deserved because I think that the acting performances are very good. I, I love the way that the story has been moved around to make it more cohesive, make mm-hmm. it more uh, push with momentum towards moments that it belongs mm-hmm. where it where it should be leading you to right. versus the way the 61 version lays the story out. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I will say one more thing on movies versus musicals, like live, live musicals. Yeah, yeah. Is that. When you go see a Broadway musical that you've already seen before, 
the appeal is that everything is different. You have different dancers, different actors, different singing styles, different tones you're going to hear, the styling, the venue, everything is different, right? And that is the appeal, is that you're not seeing the same show twice. Correct. I have seen Hamilton three different times. Right. I saw the first time with almost the original cast. The second time I saw it with you with a completely different cast. And then I saw the touring company in Orlando. Mm -hmm. And it's such a different experience because you get like, oh, I like this version of Hamilton. Oh, but I like this version of uh, Burr. You know, like you get experiences and you get blown away with how someone in front of an audience can blow you away with their voice. Right. It's something that you don't get to really experience in movies. And that is not the same thing at all for movies. It's not. It does not translate at all. That that part does not translate. Absolutely not. You are correct on that. So um, there's a couple of things that we could talk about in spoilers because, you know, because of the changes that have been made. I I don't want to spoil people who have watched the original but haven't watched this one yet. So let's go ahead and let's talk about spoilers. Before we do, what is your score for this version? Okay, I'll give it a four out of five. I gave it a four out of five. I was very close to going a little higher, but I'm I'm gonna stay at four. I'm gonna stay at four. I was close to going like a half a star less, Less, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it at four. So I think it's a solid four. There we go. So let's go ahead and let's talk about spoilers for West Side Story right after this. The greatest trick, Houston. We have a problem. I. I'm the father. I see dead people. The devil ever pulled. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Was convincing the world. You can't handle the truth. He didn't exist. Oh, what's in the box? All right, let's talk about spoilers for the new West Side Story. So I think where I want to start, I think, is the biggest change of the movie, which is where they change what I feel is the most pivotal part of the movie. And that is the deaths of Riff and Bernardo. Okay. So the original 1961 version has it pretty much right in the middle of the, in the movie. Yeah. This one changes it. They change mm-hmm. order of songs mm-hmm. and they push the rumble back towards the third act of the movie. Mm-hmm. Not the very last thing, but they push it back. I think this was a very smart choice because... Yeah. You want the momentum building between these two gangs. Mm-hmm. Like that is the story they're trying to tell. Mm-hmm. Two gangs who are on a collision path of tragedy pretty much. And doing it in the middle never really made sense to me because then you kind of let all the air out of Yeah, there's the a tension. lot of room for you to lose interest. Exactly. And you can lose interest after that rumble. Mm-hmm. Uh, So I think that's a very good change. Uh, I think there was an awkward placing of one of the songs. You pointed it out. I agreed. What was that song? It was America. The placement of it. The placement of the iconic America song I felt was a little bit delayed. And in the original, they do it right before the war council. Yes, they Where they like choose the location of the rumble and all that shit. The way they did it this time was way after the war cancel. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's the best place for it. I didn't feel like, I don't know. It just didn't, it didn't, it didn't gel sit, for me. It didn't gel for you. No. Um, and I would also say that that sequence is like not as good as the original 1961 uh, version. The, because it's just like the rooftop that they did it on and the choreo, the energy and the banter between the dancers and the singers. Obviously, Rita Moreno is just like firing in all cylinders in that scene. And she's just like she is mesmerizing, mesmerizing in that scene. And in this version, uh, in Spielberg's version, he takes it to the streets. He's using different locations. He's having a lot of dancers. And it just seems to incorporate a lot more of the city. And um, I think there's wardrobe changes and everything. It just felt a little more glitzy, but not as much in the moment. Okay. I see what you're saying. Like it felt like they they had to build up to this song. They were trying to match what they had done in the rest of the movie, which is basically a lot of fancy camera work, a lot of beautiful um, set design and um, movement. Uh, just so much movement, right? And in the original, they just like let it be, you know? Right. Um, it felt you- the most like you were watching it live. Would you say that this is the most pivotal song of this show in general? I'm, I'm talking across the musical movies. Is this the most pivotal song where you kind of like hang your hat on like, oh, as a film or musical, this is the song? Or is it a different one? Because I think that kind of plays into why they went all out with this one. I I honestly feel that Spielberg the and the song. producers feels like this is the song is we the have song. to. Yeah. We have to pull out all the stops on this one. Yeah. I yeah. And this I is under- that song. <laughs> yeah, so I I totally see what they did. You described it where they they pulled out all the stops. They they incorporated the city, way more dancers, so many people. But you're right. The, it kind of feels off because it it follows a conversation yes. in, in the original version. It's of, a single moment, you know? Right, where they're going back and forth about the merits of living in Puerto Rico versus living, living in, in America. Living in America. The differences, what's and wrong with each of them. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it, it, it builds up to that moment properly in this version. Even, mm-hmm. I mean, it's still an exciting And it's set missing piece, a lot of the comedy as well of the original. I see what you're saying on that one. Uh, Bernardo... This version, David Alvarez, it's a little more like he he's a tougher type of guy. So he's a boxer. <laughs> he's a boxer. So he doesn't really like play around mm-hmm. when he's singing and when mm-hmm. he's performing. It's and all even this uh, Ariana Debose, she's not quite as uh, what's the line where she says, "You forget that I'm in America." Right. Yes, you I know? remember the line. And you that's meant as a joke I'm because how America. can it how can it be a bad time in America when I'm in America? That's the joke. That's the joke. You forget that I'm in America. Exactly. And like it's not she doesn't sing it or you know perform it as if she gets the joke. Right. I I, I it's totally a little more understand. straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there is another song that I felt that was off in in its placement and it's um, I feel pretty. Oh yeah, that's really late. 
It's oh really God. late in the movie. Super late in the movie. And it comes after, it's the, after rumble. the rumble. It's right after. after the rumble. Right after. So you get this scene, Whiplash. this very tense scene of two lead characters dying. And then all of a sudden you jump into I Feel Pretty. And it, it just tonally doesn't make sense to me mm-hmm. why it was placed there. Yeah. Um, you know, it that's supposed to be a very fun moment where we see Maria who is like just she's giddy. Yeah. yeah. She is just purely in love. And we don't really get that sense because we're too busy just coming off of the fact that Bernardo and Riff die. Mm-hmm. So uh so it, it's a little thing like that. Um now good things that I will say. I already talked about moving the rumble pushing it back um i really like that they added a date scene between tony and maria big uh, plus big big plus. plus they explain tony's background like mm-hmm. because in the original movie like he's he was just, just trying to get clean like for no reason he just like went cold turkey on the jets <laughs> like, yeah in this version he had problems like he yeah. was he went he, to jail. He was incarcerated. He was yeah. incarcerated. So he's trying to clean up his life. He's, he's on try- probation. He's yeah. trying to live the straight and narrow life. So mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that. And I do appreciate that the two characters, Tony and Maria, are trying to understand each other. And they have, it's not just all roses. Like there's a conversation that they have on their way to their date on the subway mm-hmm. where Tony's trying to explain why Riff is the way he is. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, he's been abandoned and everything's been taken away from. And then Maria, you know, fights back. It's like but that well, doesn't mean he can do what he's doing to us. Right. Exactly. So I do like that, even though these two are madly in love with each other, there's still sparks that, mm-hmm. you know, not everything's perfect. Right. There's there's things that they have to get past. The two and work through exactly and so i i really enjoy that and i do enjoy that uh tony gets to explain how he is who he is why he is in that date where they go to this i don't know if it's a monastery or something it's not a monastery i don't know what but it, it is. looks like it is <laughs> it looks like it is i mean it's like they had stained glass it looked like a church yeah uh so it little things like that so i i really enjoyed that as as a entire thing, I prefer this riff over the original riff. Any day of the week. Yes. Oh my gosh, this riff. Who played riff in his this name is Mike Faced. Mike Faced. Mike Faced. You deserve a lot of praise, sir. You did so well. Oh my gosh, he blew the original out of the water. I think that his accent, like what he was doing, was amazing (laughs) like you can really hear it even in the trailer um i just enjoyed everything that he was doing yes um he wasn't uh hokey like the original jets are kind of hokey right they don't they don't seem to have any teeth yes in this version there they do and so do the the sharks yeah, they both feel menacing towards each other. Yeah, they feel fatal. Yeah, yeah they do. <laughs> and it, it all has to stem from the lead of each group. Bernardo is a boxer and he he wears his machismo right on his sleeve and mm-hmm. he he will he's he's not afraid to jump into it, but neither is this Riff. Riff mm-hmm. is looking for a fight. He's yeah. looking to whatever will cause it, he's mm-hmm. looking to 
They're to both get wound started. up. They both are. Uh, speaking of uh, Michael Faced, uh, he is apparently he is best known for originally playing the role of Connor in the Broadway mu- musical Dear Evan Hansen. He played oh. Connor. <laughs> he was That's nominated another for musical from earlier Tony this Award year. <laughs> for Best Actor in a Musical. Oh, nice. OK. Uh, he, and so he also originated the role of Morris Delancey in Disney's Newsies. So he is a theater, more of a theater actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but bravo to him because yeah. he did a great job. I think job. he just understood it, you know? Yeah. He understood right. what it was. Yeah. And yeah, that accent is is <laughs> so so good for what it is. Who for are what you? it needs Friend to be. Friend of foe. <laughs> Friend of foe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Tony, we're going to need you if we're going to war. <laughs> it, it's great. It, it's great. Um, I, Let's talk about gentrification because that wasn't ooh, present in the original movie either. This is very interesting. Yes. This is a whole new layer that they put on top of the gang turf warfare that's happening where their whole block or it's like 20 blocks or something is getting bought up by the city and is getting gentrified and turned into what we now know as New York. Um, Lincoln Center. Yes, Lincoln Center included. Like that's like the landmark that they focus on as being under construction right now. And they're basically losing their environment, almost like they're going extinct because of all of this um, destruction. You know, their habitat is being destroyed. And that's why they're getting thrown together so much. the The sharks and the jets. Um, Mm -hmm. and it just really, it's interesting because you don't, I don't think anyone's going to sit here and say, I want gangs in the neighborhood, but, um, you know, you kind of feel for the characters because yes, their neighborhood is getting destroyed and no one here is going to be able to afford this same neighborhood in a few months. Exactly. It completely changes how that neighborhood's going to look. Right. So it's a a weird dichotomy that they have going on here, but I like it. I like that they're given a reason to basically rumble at this point because they have less turf to, to parade around. They're fighting for something that will no longer exist soon. It's futile. Like you can see that it's futile. Yeah. It was futile in the original as well. Like it's just you you can see that it's dumb, right? Yeah. But in this movie, it's even more futile because it's not going to exist in a few months. No, it's not. Yeah. Not at all. Uh there's a character that I, I we haven't touched on yet and that is Chino. Chino. So Chino was a wreck in the original. <laughs> yeah, he was. Chino was a wreck in the original. I did a I did appreciate this version of Chino. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Chino is the one that they set up with Maria at the beginning, going yeah. to the dance. Uh, he is as Maria calls him a sangano. A sangano, which is <laughs> hilarious. I lost it in the theater when she said that. Yeah. So for for people who don't know what sangano means, <laughs> and that for it's most likely people who. Um, you know, don't speak Spanish, but basically, uh, it could be someone who could be lazy, could be a loafer, also uh, someone who is a bit 
Shy. Like I just said fofo, which is another fofo. like Spanish <laughs> word. A bit of an idiot, a bit yeah. of a fool. Um, you know, something who someone who feels kind of dumb. Yeah, so I just looked it up on Google, and the first thing that pops up says Sangana Sarsangano used to describe a fe- male or female that is acting stupid or foolish. <laughs> there you go. But it's more than that. It's not just like, oh, it's, it's a fool. It's not just it's like, that. Like, there's more to it. Like, you look at the person, and and you can you can kind of call someone a Sangano without even really interacting with them. Like, the yes. way they carry themselves is a bit sheepish, a bit... Yeah. Uh, so... The, so when he calls like goofy <laughs> yeah so when she calls him a sangano and we get a first visual of him we he totally walks through the understand door and we're yeah. like oh my god he is a sangano he is a sangano <laughs> uh and so i love that the movie does have an arc for him mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he wants to be part of it he wants to be in it um but you know he's he's going to night school and uh he's working on counting machines yes <laughs> uh you know so he's they're trying to set it up that he has a future pretty much. Right. They don't want to get him involved in the gang politics no. because they want to keep him clean. Almost like this. Remi- oh, my God. This reminds me of Godfather. Yeah. With Michael's character. With Michael's where character. They're like, no, no, you, you know, you're a war hero. We don't want you in the family business. Don't worry about it. Don't get your head in it. And that's exactly how they are interacting with Gino. They're like, no, no, no. <laughs> No, no, you you stay in night school. You take yeah, care yeah. of Maria. Maria's a good girl for you. You're a good guy for her, mm-hmm. you know, type of thing. And the movie allows his character to go through moments of choice mm-hmm. where he chooses to go to the rumble in, on his own accord. Mm-hmm. He chooses to pick up the gun. He chooses to let his rage and, you know, he, the way he's feeling to take over, mm-hmm. to... To do in the end what what is done and that's kill Tony. Um, so I I really like the way the movie kind of set him up like that. How did you feel about that interaction that he had that Chino had after um, the two guys are killed and he goes to like the um, the gym, the mm-hmm. boxing gym, and those guys are having like a vigil for Bernardo essentially. Right. And he says, if you think that Bernardo died for Puerto Rico and for you guys, um. And he, you consider him a hero, then you're a fool. Um, I don't know if it was. Nah, I guess it was the way it was written. Uh, I wasn't a fan of how I, I can understand what they were trying to say. Right. They were and trying to say. And it was mostly say, in Spanish as well. Yes. We haven't talked about. We that haven't either. talked about that. Yeah. We'll talk about that next. Uh, but I think what what the movie is trying to say, it through his character is. You think he died because he was a proud Puerto Rican. No, he died because he was stupid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you are adoring a stupid man. Right. That's what they're trying to say through the character of Chino. Chino is mad not because Bernardo died for something he believed in, mm-hmm. but more that Ch- uh, that Bernardo died unnecessarily right. for something so dumb. Yeah. Which was because a guy... Kissed his, his sister, sister. Oh, yeah, or kissed his her. sister kissed him. But because it's not a Puerto Rican boy, he he has to get into a fight about right, it right, and for even prejudice. die. Yeah, yeah, for prejudice. So I that's what the movie, I believe, is what they're trying to say. But I don't think it came out right the way it was written. They made it sound a little convoluted. 
-hmm. even when they were speaking in Spanish, it doesn't sound quite right how they're saying it. But I understood what the movie was trying to imply. Mm -hmm. This was not this is not someone you should be, you know, you shouldn't be crying that you lost someone to look up to. You lost someone who was being dumb, who was being stupid, Mm -hmm. who made Uh, the wrong decision, who was being reckless. Mm hmm. And this is someone you're supposed to look up to. This is the person that you're, you know, doing a vigil for. Mm -hmm. So so I understood, but it was just not very well told in the movie. Not well written, I I would say. Uh, Okay, Spanish. You mentioned it. This is a big deal because this movie has a lot of bits where characters are speaking in Spanish and there are no subtitles. Yes. So if you do not speak a lick of Spanish, there are going to be times where you're out of the conversation. Mm -hmm. But what I do appreciate is that the movie does treat it in the time that it's in where people do get offended and people are mad when you don't speak their language in front of them. And, you know, you can kind of tie that into what happens now here in America today. (laughs) And you hear characters multiple times say, speak English. Mm hmm. When Puerto You're in Rican America, speak English. Right. When Puerto Rican characters start talking in Spanish to each other, I found it to be great. I, I think, loved it. I loved it. And it might sound biased because it's coming from two Hispanic people uh, right now that you're listening to. But I think that it mirrors what we see in everyday life now. Mm-hmm. You don't walk around and there's suddenly subtitles when someone else is speaking a different language. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good point. So I think that it's necessary to see, at least see with your own eyes, that these people are their own people. They have their mm-hmm. own culture. They have their own language and they use it when they can and when mm-hmm. they want to and when it's necessary. Cuando le da la gana. There you go. It doesn't and matter. You don't exactly. need a reason to speak another language. You don't need a language. reason. Yeah. You don't need a reason to speak in another language. And but what what also helps is that this is a way of being able to tell the stories in secret of Puerto Ricans when they're trying to relay messages to each other. Especially like a very important part is when Maria and Anita are being investigated by the police officer played by Corey Stoll because of course it was of course <laughs> uh and they're speaking in Spanish to each other mm-hmm. and before he interrupts and it's like English and they get to have their own moment of communication telling each other what they need to what she needs Anita to do for her mm-hmm. you know and then you know in other moments we get the same thing where characters are talking to each other in Spanish Sometimes it's not interrupted. Sometimes it's like free flowing where they get to talk because they're amongst each other. Yeah, it felt very authentic and it felt it very comfortable. And Spielberg um, was the one that really spearheaded that. He was like, I don't want any sp- subtitles because, you know, so far in movies and in West Side Story and in this ex- entire experience, English has had the upper hand, right? Yeah, it has. You know, the best thing you can do to tell this story the way it was probably meant to be told <laughs> was to not have subtitles. There you have go. Have these characters that hail from, uh, you know, Puerto Rico be speaking in Spanish. Yeah. Period. And I also read something 
where if you're out of your depth, good. Like Spielberg like wanted it that way. <laughs> he did want it that way. And I read somewhere that somebody described this as uh basically when you use subtitles to to put another language, it really emphasizes that language being second to English at all right. times. Right. And putting it without subtitles gives it at least equal footing. Mm-hmm. Where if you understand one of the languages, you understand when they're speaking, when that person is speaking, and then you're lost when the, another person is speaking a different language mm-hmm. and vice versa. And you are rewarded if you know both. Mm-hmm. I think that is something that I would like to see going forward. Mm-hmm. It'll be tough when it's languages you don't know, obviously. So, mm-hmm. for example... For me, I know that Korean cinema is is an avenue of movies that we have been getting more and more. So if there's no subtitles, I know that's going to be extremely difficult for me. But if, here's the thing. If it treats a it like lot this, of people speak Spanish in the United States, I think more if I look up the stat, it'll be something ridiculous. Um, yeah. And I read a, a stat, and this is true, that there's more Puerto Ricans in the United States than there are on the island. That is very true. <laughs> That's absolutely true. So I feel like when Spielberg has all of these grand reasons for not wanting to use subtitles, I feel like it's valid. I I completely agree. I agree with the sentiment. And Is the movie, you know, if I didn't know Spanish and I was still watching this movie, sure, I can get the gist of what they're saying. Absolutely. But am I getting the nuance? Am I getting the direct translation? No. No. No, you're not. But I don't think it hampers the movie. I don't think so either. I think it still gets the point across as to what it's trying to achieve, whether it's in English or in Spanish. So I think this has been a movie that opens up so many conversations. And that's what I enjoy with a movie like this. And other movies, when they open up conversation as to what the intent is behind it, and is it trying to push something forward? And I yeah. think this movie does a very good job of that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I very much appreciate this version. I was skeptical when I, I first heard it, when I started seeing trailers, when we saw the same trailer over and over and over and over again for months. <sighs> It was the same one where we see Maria on the balcony and she starts singing tonight. Um, but it won me over. It won mm-hmm. me over as we watched it. And I look forward to seeing I, I would watch it again for sure. Um, you know, so. Yeah, same. So this is a movie that I look forward to watching again. Yeah. Uh, before we get out of here, did you have any other thoughts on West Side Story? Um, I oh. think the Spanish was very Puerto Rican as well. Yeah, <laughs> like, it was. Yeah, you know, they was. were saying like Nana and stuff like that. That's, you know, each of the countries has its own nuance to the language. And you can't just come in here speaking Spanish from Spain. You know, that's not going to fly. You're not being authentic to the characters that are Puerto Rican. Exactly. So, you know, it felt nice to hear this Puerto Rican. That's how I grew up with this type of spanish so did i i i have one question before we get out did you have a favorite performance from this particular version like a song or yeah so it was the song that came after um 
Anita comes home after identifying Bernardo's body, body and speaking with the police and stuff. And mm. um, she sees Tony like slinking out the window in, of Maria's room. And then they have this beautiful, intense song together. Um, and that's the song that I was like, oh, my God, that blew me away. Yeah, this is a song that goes uh, back and forth between Maria and Anita. And that is the A Boy Like That, I Have a Love is what Mm -hmm. it's called. Because uh, um, Anita is singing A Boy Like That and Maria is singing I Have a Love. Yeah. So that right there, the back and forth. Beautiful, yeah. It's a very well done. Well Um, acted as well. Yeah, it's well acted as well. Um, I do like the, um, I'm trying to think of what the title of the song, well, you know what, it is called Tonight, but it's the quintet, which is where the two gangs are on their way to the rumble. The reprise. (laughs) Yes, the, the reprise. And so you have Tony who's trying to go meet up with Maria. Maria is on her way. Like everyone is singing. Mm -hmm. Everyone is playing their part in the song. I like that. I'm a sucker for those. Like you are, <laughs> I am. Where like the song kind of joins up between like all these different characters singing their own parts, almost overlapping each other, but they all end almost on the same note. Like tonight, yep. you know, yeah, like that. So I, I really enjoy that. So so I think with that we can say that this has been our conversation on West Side Story. Yeah, uh, very good movie. Go out and watch it if. If you're a fan of musicals, I, I would recommend it. Uh, so give that a check out. Today, if you are listening right now, thank you for listening to this episode, number one. Number two, if you have not, go ahead and subscribe to your favorite podcast app. So that's Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and we're on all of them pretty much. Uh, once you're on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review. Five stars goes a long way for us. If you've done all that, go ahead and follow us on social media. We're at, at Always Critic Pod, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. We're on all of them. Let us know what you thought about this movie and any other movies that we talk about. Once again, that's at Always Critic Pod. Finally, if you are a fan of our show, go ahead and consider showing your support through patreon.com slash always critic pod for as little as $2 a month less than a cup of coffee, less than that peppermint mocha that you're buying right now at Starbucks, you can support this show. Once again, that is patreon.com slash alwayscriticpod. And with all that said, I'm Rico. And I'm Jessica, and this has been the Always the Critic Podcast. Tonight, tonight, it all began tonight. I saw you and the world went the Just a world, there's a soul